Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was February 1st, 1960. It was the height of the civil rights movement in America, and Black students across the South were organizing to fight for equal rights. Segregation between African American and white people was the norm, and for years, activists had been fighting the status quo with methods of nonviolent protest. So on the afternoon of February 1st, Four students named Ezell Blair Jr., David Richmond, Franklin McCain, and Joseph McNeil purchased items, then sat down at a whites-only lunch counter at a Woolworth store in Greensboro, North Carolina. They refused to move. Their action that day was simple, but it took careful planning, and it spurred more sit-ins across the country. The four men all students at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University would become known as the Greensboro Four. The four students would meet in their dorm rooms in so-called bull sessions, where they discussed the treatment of Black people in the U.S. and what they could do about it. But after Blair, now named Jabril Kazan, was denied service when he tried to get food at a Greyhound bus station, the group was moved to action. 
they knew they needed to do more and talk less to be able to incite real change. So they decided to protest racial segregation by conducting a sit-in at Woolworth, which was a large enough entity that any major disruption would get national attention from Black and non-Black people. And if they got enough media attention, they thought, then they could get Woolworth to desegregate. It's been said that white store owner Ralph Johns encouraged and counseled the Greensboro Four into the Woolworth sit-ins, but McCain and Kazan have denied the sit-in was John's idea. Anyway, the concept of a sit-in was not new. Activists had engaged in this kind of protest for over a decade by this point. In 1943, Polly Murray, a Howard University law student who would go on to become a lawyer and priest, organized stool sittings in segregated cafeterias. Women in the Citizens' Civil Rights Committee in St. Louis, Missouri, held lunch counter sit-ins in the 1940s. And in the 1950s, the Congress on Racial Equality staged sit-ins in Baltimore to protest discrimination. But even though sit-ins had already been happening all over the country, the Greensboro-Woolworth sit-in sparked a massive movement. On February 1st, the Greensboro Four tried to order coffee at the Woolworth lunch counter, but they were refused service, as was the store policy. The staff asked the students to leave, but the students did not budge. When police got to the Woolworth, they said they couldn't take any action because the students hadn't provoked anybody. And even then, local media was already all over the story. So the four stayed at the lunch counter until the store closed early, and then went back to campus to find more people to join their cause. The next day, nearly 30 students showed up at the Woolworth counter to protest segregation. And the day after that, more than 60 students showed up. The Student Executive Committee for Justice sent a letter to the president of F.W. Woolworth asking the company to, quote, take a firm stand to eliminate discrimination. In the following days, the protests grew. Students from Bennett College and Dudley High School also joined the demonstrations as well as white students from nearby colleges. Members of the Ku Klux Klan and white patrons heckled the students. But by February 4th, the sit-in had spread to another lunch counter at S.H. Crest & Co. And on February 5th, the protest had grown to over 300 strong and was getting a ton of media coverage. Some students protesting at the Woolworth and Crest stores did get arrested but the boycotts were hurting the store's sales. And soon, people all over the country were organizing sit-ins and other forms of nonviolent protests against racial segregation. The Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee formed in April 1960 at the encouragement of civil rights organizer Ella Baker. And in July 1960, the Woolworth and Crest counters were integrated F.W. Woolworth employees Charles Bess, Maddie Long, Susie Morrison, and Jamie Robinson were the first African-Americans to eat at the Woolworth lunch counter. I'm Eve Steffcoat, and hopefully you know a little bit more about history today than you did yesterday. Hey, y'all. If you listened yesterday, you know that I had a cold. I am still recovering from that cold, which means my voice is still hoarse. So thank you for bearing with me again. 
You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Come back tomorrow for another tidbit from history. There are some stories in Jewish history that are so bizarre, so fascinating, so completely wild that they feel like they're straight out of a movie, but they're all true stories. Join hosts Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab on Jewish History Nerds for a new season of intrigue, mystic realms, and bloody battles. In season three of these podcasts, you'll meet an ancient Arabian king who converted to Judaism in a struggle for power, a mysterious author who created amulets and performed Kabbalistic exorcisms, and a can't-miss story of a female Hasidic Rebbe whose story unfolds like a real-life Yentl to challenge societal norms. Jewish history nerds will keep you on the edge of your seat as you learn all about some of the craziest and most amazing yet largely unknown stories that fill Jewish history books. Find out what happened, how it happened, and why each story still matters today. Don't miss Jewish History Nerds Season 3, hosted by Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab. Find Jewish History Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome back to This Day in History class a podcast where we unwrap a piece of history candy every day. The day was February 1st, 1902. Writer and activist Langston Hughes was born in Joplin, Missouri. Hughes was an important figure in the Harlem Renaissance, and he is considered a pioneer of modern Black literature. Though it's long been believed that he was born in 1902, recent archival discoveries do suggest that he may have been born a year earlier. 
Hugh's lineage was full of prominent and politically active people. His maternal grandmother's first husband, Louis Leary, died in John Brown's raid at Harper's Ferry. His grandfather, Charles Henry Langston, was an abolitionist and one of the first Black people to attend Oberlin College. His great-uncle, John Mercer Langston, was the first Black congressman from Virginia, the first president of Virginia State University, and the first dean of the law school at Harvard University. And his grandmother frequently told him stories about their family's history. His parents were James Hughes and Carrie Langston. When Hughes was young, his father left the family and moved to Mexico, and his parents divorced. His mother moved to different cities for work. As a result, Hugh's grandmother raised him in Lawrence, Kansas, though he lived with and visited his mother in some cities, like Kansas City and Colorado Springs. Eventually, he settled with his mother and stepfather in Lincoln, Illinois, then Cleveland, Ohio. By this time, Hughes had already begun writing poetry. He went to high school in Cleveland, and there he began delving into leftist literature and ideology. He took interest in The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois and studied the work of Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Carl Sandburg, Friedrich Nietzsche, and other writers, and he started publishing his poems. Hughes wrote one of his most famous poems, The Negro Speaks of Rivers, when he was a teenager on a train to Mexico. Once he graduated high school, he spent a year in Mexico with his father, but he had a strained relationship with his father, who considered Black people inferior even though he was Black, and he urged Hughes to pursue a career that was more practical than writing. But Hughes immersed himself more in his writing. He moved to New York City, attended Columbia University, took odd jobs, then dropped out of college. He traveled to Africa and Europe as a crewman, and he lived in Paris for a while, where he continued to write poems and fiction and learned more about blues and jazz artists. When he returned to the U.S., he moved to Washington, D.C., and took trips to Harlem, where he met literary figures like County Cullen and Jean Toomer. In 1926, Alfred A. Knopf published his first book of poetry, The Wary Blues. In addition to poetry, Hughes wrote novels, short stories, and plays, in which he portrayed Black American life in the 1920s through 1960s. His works include The Simple Tales, which began as a regular column in the Chicago Defender, a book of short stories called The Ways of White Folks, and a play called Mulatto that ran on Broadway for more than a year. Hughes did reading tours, and he traveled throughout the Soviet Union and Asia, writing a lot of leftist poetry. He wrote prolifically, and many people around the world supported his work. But many others disliked his portrayals of everyday working-class Black people, believing it was a disservice to the race to display the less desirable aspects of Black life. And other critics thought that Hughes didn't take a strong enough political stance in his work. Regardless, Hughes became successful enough to live off of his writing and public lectures. Hughes wrote up until his death in 1967. His ashes are beneath a floor medallion at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you haven't gotten your fill of history yet, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Podcast. 
You can also email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.